this morning, we're um, going to look at a really important series of questions. Does apprenticing Jesus really make a difference in your life? Does following him impact your daily life? Does it really matter? Does it really change things? Does he have that strong of an impact in your life that you start to see the areas of your life, just the, the daily grind, uh, the ways maybe you perceive people, the ways you share honesty, the ways maybe your heart is growing in dependence, your heart that loves to explore the beauty of his creation? Do you see it differently than you used to? Does following Jesus really make a difference in our lives? It's a really pretty epic question, especially in a, a progressive secularism that's uh, asking and telling us that there's other things that really make a difference in your life. Does Jesus? And so this morning, uh, I want to look at uh, really just a really simple Simple way to look at this, uh, I think uh, I, we overcomplicate some of those questions sometimes, but really what I want to do is just watch two of Jesus' closest followers, Peter and John. They were apprentices of Jesus for three years, three and a half years, and I think uh, we're going to see that some things that they learned from Jesus and watched in his habits and daily rhythms of his life. Uh, they begin to take those on. And so it's going to be fun to kind of just unpack this together and look in here together. If you're not accustomed to uh, my preaching, uh, I do preach interactively. So I'll ask some questions, and they're not rhetorical questions. I'll let you know if they're rhetorical, um, maybe. Um, so I, I love to uh, interact with you on some of these things. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote. I'm curious. Uh, I've used this quote in here before. Curious how it'll strike you as one who's a follower of Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, Every Christian is to become a little Christ. He goes on to say, The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is nothing else but to become a little Christ. Now, when you hear that phrase, to become a little Christ, some of you may go, oh man, you don't, you don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know the darkness of my heart. You're coming in here this morning with, with a tremendous amount of guilt and shame over past stuff, maybe recent stuff, and you can't even imagine being called a little Christ. Some of you might think uh, the opposite end of the spectrum and say, oh man, yeah, I can, I can be just like Jesus. I can do everything Jesus did. Um, maybe that's none of us in here. But there is the, right, there's, a, there's warnings on both of those sides. Both are unhealthy. Uh, so we're looking at what, is it, what does this really mean when C.S. Lewis says to become a little Christ. 
Peter and John, after apprenticing Jesus, I want to set this scene up for you. Uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's come back 10 days later in the person of his spirit through the gift of his spirit. So as followers of Jesus, who would soon be called followers of the way, uh, they're, they're imitating a practice of Jesus by going up to the temple and praying. So right out of the chute, we see this. And I want to share with you just just as we, uh, as we show this scene to you, as we read through this passage together, this, uh, this is the, what, a rendering of what's known as the beautiful gate. And this beautiful gate, uh, you can't, they don't have the doors in this picture, uh, but it's this scene uh, rendered on a computer. But you can see how massive the entrance of the temple is. And, and people with disabilities and stuff would sit at the entrance of that gate. And it was said that the, these doors at the entrance to this gate were so large and so heavy, they were made from imported bronze from Corinth. Bronze doors that it was said that 20 men had to open and shut those doors. They were so heavy. So you imagine the beauty of the scene and the spectacular entrance of this. And then I love about this drawing is that the doors are open. You can see into Solomon's portico with these massive column-lined area that's called Solomon's portico because it's, uh, they, sit, they think that it was the original part of Solomon's temple, the very first temple built. And so this beautiful scene, we're going to, I just want you to have that in your mind as we read this passage. So, will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? And uh, whoever's running the iPad, I'm just going to, for now, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10. See if you can pick up on the ways, as we're reading through this, that Peter and John are imitating Jesus. It's 3 p.m., the ninth hour. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go up to the end of the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Jesus, we do pray that you would um, show us your beauty this morning. Holy Spirit, encourage us that following you makes a difference in our lives. We pray these things 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Children, uh, you've been given, if you didn't get one of these, feel free to get up and get it. Uh, There's a couple drawings back here uh, that we have of this week's sermon. Uh, I love these. Like, these are great because, uh, like, I wish they did, like, adult drawings for, you know, handouts. That's why I do this kind of stuff because I'm just a visual learner. Um, So I hope those are helpful for you guys uh, to look at and color on and take notes on and anything else. So this morning, I want to I ask, just out of that passage, we have it, have it up there. It's in small sections, but you can open it on your phone or your Bible. How do does, how does Peter and John love this man? Not necessarily looking for anything deep, but just what are ways in which you see Peter and John love this man at the beautiful gate? Open question. Very good. You both picked that up. Very good. They saw him, gave him his attention. Yeah, great. They touched him. Very good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I hadn't noticed that before. Thanks for pointing that out. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah, they just didn't throw change at him and go on into the temple. They actually acted. Very good. Yeah, isn't it interesting the first thing you pick up on? Is this really Luke? Luke really, really points out this gaze. Isn't it interesting? Um, Translators try to capture this. I've I've got a few translations here in different ways. Fastening his eyes on him, directing his gaze on him, or look straight at him. So if you guys remember back in John chapter 9, you can turn back there, but it's... It's a pretty lengthy chapter, so you just have to trust me on the details of this. Uh, In John chapter 9, there was a blind man, and Jesus is walking in to what what we believe is probably the Ashpot Gate. It's a different gate. Uh, But again, going into the temple, he encounters a blind man, and he's with his disciples. And Jesus stops at this disciple, or at this blind man, and he stopped long enough, and he st- it doesn't say that Jesus looked at him, but we know that he looked at him uh, because he heals him, and we know that he stops and slows down long enough for the disciples to go, hey, Jesus, who sinned or this man? This man sin or did his parents sin is the question they ask. So I'm sure that Peter and John are there asking that question, and now... Look what's different about what's going on. So there's an aspect of which they saw the man in John 9 as a theological problem to be solved. Like, hey, let's ask the rabbi uh, a really hard question here. Hey, rabbi, uh, did he sin or did his parents sin? And they're kind of asked, they're not really seeing him as a person. And yet Jesus stops, bends down, puts mud on his eyes, tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he comes back seeing. 
where do you think they learned how to look at people? Have you ever thought about just, just the looking aspect? I may have shared this story with you before. I remember sitting in my living room one time. Uh, this was several years ago. My daughter, Mary Catherine, had gotten one of those exercise mats for Christmas. And she's in the family room, like, doing all these tricks, at, you know, over and over and over again. And she just goes, Daddy, Daddy, watch me. And I'm, like, on my phone, you know, doing something. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. You know, right? We get on to our kids about this. We're just as bad. So, and then she walks right over to me and she grabs my face and she just goes, Daddy, look at me. <laughs> and it was just a deep conviction of like, oh, like I'm not seeing. And I have to remind myself daily that part of the beauty of who Jesus was is that he saw people. Right in the midst of a massive crowd of about 5,000, when he heals this widow of Nain, he sees her. And all, the, and all the different places that he went, if you ever, you know, we like to go places and people watch. When you people watch, you can't just kind of gaze at a multitude. You really, the, the full effect of people watching is to watch an individual and what they're doing in a crowd. We do that just, unfortunately, for entertainment sometimes. Jesus never did it for entertainment. Jesus did it because his heart went out to them. One time he's sitting at the, in the temple, and he's, it's at the end of a long day of teaching. It's near the end of his ministry, right before, uh, I think it's the last time he enters the temple before he will, uh, when he's on his trial the temple area, and he's sitting down at the end of the day and he's watching people give the offering. And then who does he notice? He points out, right, this one poor widow. And he's just reflecting. So what does it mean for us to actually see people like Jesus? What does it mean for your life? What does that actually mean you will have to do? Open question. Okay, seeing is to seek understanding. Okay, very good. Yeah, pause your life, slow down a little bit. Yeah, one, one phrase Paul Miller uses often is love is not efficient. Okay, yeah, direction of your attention from in to out. Yeah, great. Very good. Yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very good, David. Which brings problems into your life that you don't know how to solve or fix, uh, which is often the reason we don't want to stop and pause too long to look at someone because then we're like, oh, then i got to really engage with my heart. Um, is tough, right? So, so this pattern of seeing and feeling compassion and helping, moving to action, it's the same thing. The disciples 
Peter and John in this story are doing the exact same thing they had learned from Jesus. See, I just don't think that, um, I don't think there was this like, there was lots of theology that they learned from Jesus, but they learned what it meant to be human, what it meant to love was ultimately what they learned from Jesus. Yes, they learned a lot of wise things, a lot of ways, but, but Jesus was teaching them how to love. And they picked up on the model of that. So so does it really matter to follow Jesus? Does it really have impact in your life? Then you can ask the question, am I beginning to see people? Do I I love people well? Am I beginning to to engage with people and move into their lives where love, seeing them turns to action and my heart is drawn to them? Even in the most simple ways of seeing your daughter do cartwheels on a floor mat. It's not, it's not complicated. One friend of mine said, um, I was asking him to just tell me how studying Jesus as a person has impacted his life. And he says, for far too long, we've complicated Christianity. Are you making following Jesus too complicated? Like that, that this, is, this is like a... a a theological textbook that you have to pick up and digest every single meaning of every single word every single time you sit down and read? That's a daunting task for me. But maybe you're opening it up and just going, man, I just want to see life. I want to see the person of life in here and, and what beauty there is here that it might show me how I can go in love. Keep it simple. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. There's lots of ways. If you, if you take that John 9 passage and just put it parallel, let me share with you a few parallels. Uh, the disability uh, that they have, and we see this in this imitation of Jesus, one's blind and one's crippled. How long were they disabled? Both from birth. Where did the location, what was the location of the miracle? Both at a gate. Who sees? Jesus saw, and now Peter and John see. What was the description of their looking? Jesus saw him. They looked straight after him, fixed their gaze on him. The method of healing, Jesus put mud on their eyes and said, go wash. They simply say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Who gets the glory? Really interesting, isn't it? The Father gets the glory when Jesus heals blind man, John and Peter give Jesus the glory and the Spirit the glory and ultimately the Father. So let me, uh, if you will, um, put up Acts 3, 11 through 16. Let's just continue in this story uh, and see what happens as they move into the temple area and how they, uh, I'm hitting this on bigger highlighted areas here uh, of how they imitate Jesus, see if you can pick up on them in this passage. Sweet. All right, verse 11. Uh, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together at them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So this, imagine the scene here. A formerly crippled man, they heal him. He helps him up, which is kind of cool. And then they take him by the arm and they're going into the temple. He's leaping. I love this picture that Richard gave, gave to you guys. He's leaping and jumping up and down in the temple, giving praise to God. Right? It's, it's this formerly crippled man. He now can move. Could you imagine incarnate with the, the man for a moment? He's been for 40 years, we find out later, 40 years. He hadn't been able to move his legs. He's been carried to the gate. And now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everything starts working again. Pretty astounding. Right? My wife is at home right now, laying on the couch, because she tore a tendon in her foot and had to have it repaired. Um, man, how cool would it be to just go, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rebecca, get up and walk. And this man, by faith, these disciples, by faith in the trusting name of Jesus Christ and the power that they knew that was in his name, just said those words and the sinews, the tissues, the cartilage, the scar tissue, the muscle strength, everything was revived. How did they do it? Well, we're going to look at life in the spirit in a minute just to give you a little bit of a hint. Notice the reaction of everyone. Everyone's amazed, right? They come, I want to I play this up for you because they walk into the temple and what does everyone do? It's like, whoa, man, like what has just happened? They're running, it, running at them, like astounded. They're amazed at this miracle that's gone on. Could you imagine the scene if you go back to this? Um, let me steal the, steal the screen back from you. If you go back to this scene and they go in there and everybody's running at them, and all of a sudden, there's all these people around. And then, what does Peter do? What is strange about Peter's response? Open question. Okay. Preaches the gospel to him. All right. Okay, thank you. It's a rebuking preaching of the gospel to them. Okay. Okay, yeah, gave glory to Jesus' power. What are some of the statements? Let's just list through some of the statements that are made in 13 through 15 of chapter 3. Call them out. Participatory. Here we... Okay, why do you wonder at this? 
Very good. Keep going. Why do you, yep, good. Why do you stare at us as if we were, this is our own power? Okay, yeah, good. Keep going. Oh, cool. Yeah. Brian, thanks for pointing that out. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, keep keep going. You don't have to do any interpretive work, just asking you to do an observation. What's there? What statements does Peter make? Okay, I love some of the phrases. I denied the Holy and Righteous One. That's a cool name for Jesus. Okay, yep, great. Great, a couple more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, wow, like he's reaching way back, isn't he? Like not only the Holy Righteous One, not only God's servant, but the author of life, you slain him, you slayed him. That's, uh, there's a lot of weight to these words, aren't there? And these aren't just like, you accused an innocent man and hung him on a cross. This is, this is like, how would you characterize what Peter is saying here? Is there some way you would characterize his words? Accusations? Yeah, very good. Anybody get, you got anything in there from, we're studying through Genesis. What do you see in there? That should be like, whoa. Yes. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of our fathers. Man, oh man. Jacob, what a scoundrel. I mean, insane the things that are mentioned about Jacob. You know, do you, I thought of this uh, last two weeks as Jimmy and Eric preached on him. Like, I don't know. Like, Jacob would be under church discipline. Right? Like, he wouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper um, in the PCA. Right? There's, it's just fascinating. But God's grace to Jacob that here, a thousand years later, I don't know how many years it is, not that, not that long, 400 years later maybe, that Jacob's name is mentioned by a follower of Jesus. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Where do you see that? Go ahead. Hmm. 
Oh, that's cool. Great connection of, to Esau. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I mean, it's just, Peter is so bold here. He's so honest. Where do you think Peter picked up on, this is the point, I know I'm belaboring all this, to get to the point, once again, it's really simple. We've overcomplicated it. What ways is Peter imitating Jesus? He's, he's bold. He's calling on his forefathers. Jesus talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before, right? The, this, this Jesus is, he's getting to the point where he's preaching the gospel that Jesus is the culmination of all of redemptive history, of all of history. He's the end of all roads, right? He's the, he is the pinnacle, the epicenter of history. And you put him to death. So there's this deep well of, of Jesus had rubbed off on his disciples to the point that they could be honest and bold in front of persecutors. Just a few days before, they were hiding in a room, scared to death. Lots of people attribute their boldness to they had seen the resurrected Christ. Yes, very true, but the the ways that they did intricacies of life were that they saw the way Jesus did life and they had learned. They had apprenticed Jesus and they had picked up on his habits. What do you think? The purpose of, of Peter's honesty is this really beautiful thing that leads them to repentance. And a time of refreshing, it'll say later. This deep conviction that, wow, right? They're, they were complicit in the most... Uh, atrocious murder in history. And Peter knew that he, he calls out the white elephant in the room, right? <laughs> like you're, you're complicit in the murder of the author of life. And he calls them to repentance. And I love the, the, the impact of that. The beauty of that is that 5,000 were brought into the kingdom We'll find out in Acts 4, if you want to look over, over there yourself, in Acts 4, 1 through 13, again, we see not only do they imitate the good things of life, but here's the, here's the hard thing about being a follower of Jesus, is that if you're going to take on Jesus' life as a follower of him and apprentice him, it also means that you're going to take on his death. It means that when trial and struggle and hardship and difficulty come into your life, you get to see it as an opportunity to apprentice and follow your Savior. Because part of the shape of your life is a cruciform life. It's dying to the sin that so easily clings. It's saying, I'm going to say no to that desire that I have in my heart to follow through with this sin and I'm going to die to it and I'm going to enter into the death of Christ so that I might also experience his resurrection. It's the beauty of it all. 
Yeah, you, see, you look at the, the impact of Peter and John's honesty. Uh, the religious elites are annoyed. They get arrested. 5,000 repent and believe in Jesus' resurrection. They're questioned. They proclaim the good news again. But if you notice in, in chapter 4, verse 8, if you'll flip over there, it says, these religious elites ask them, by what power or by what name did you do this? And before Peter speaks, it says this, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told his disciples, this is, stick with me here, this is really important. As a follower of Jesus, this is not you um, doing this on your own. I always like to tell people when they say, oh, it was Christ in me, it really wasn't me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like union with Christ is, it's you and Jesus now. Ever since you gave your life to Christ, there is no more, this is me and this is Jesus, it's you. You're one in Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Listen to what he says. I will come to you. What's Jesus mean? He means that the promise Jesus, he speaks of, is the Holy Spirit. But notice he says, I will come to you. So as the incarnate Son of God Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But now, the Spirit carries Jesus to us. The Spirit, in the context of Peter and John, the Apostle Paul refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus a couple of times in his epistles. The Spirit of Jesus is now spreading out through his apprentices as we continue his work as little Christ's. So that means that you and I have the spirit of Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the spirit of Jesus. What does that mean? That you have the very same experience, the very same ability that the apostles had. And where I'm not going to get into the arguments of like, is the, the gift cease and all that? We can talk about that off, off script, off the sermon. But, but you have the very same, the Spirit of Jesus resides in you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. It's the continuing work of Jesus as he spreads himself out throughout his kingdom to be at work in your life and in the lives around you, of those around you. Isn't it beautiful to think about those spreading effects? He spread out, giving power giving understanding that we might look more like him. It's really neat, too, that uh, you think about Jesus has spread his spirit out in his church. Uh, no one person in here can completely and fully and perfectly imitate Christ. But one of you can imitate Christ and you've been given a gift of compassion. While the other of you has been given this really great gift of honesty. While another of you has been given a great gift of hospitality. And another of you have given, given the great gift of wisdom and discernment. 
And do you see like, that's why the Spirit spread out because now all of us united together, Christ's kingdom in his church all around the world make up the beauty of the perfect imitation of Christ collectively. It's a really big picture of what Jesus is doing. So if you just summarize the way the, the ways that they are becoming little Christ, Peter and John, I want you to look at, everybody turn to Acts 4.13. This is kind of the culmination of all this. This verse should blow you away, and it should be a, maybe a verse you memorize and make it part of your life. They've been on trial before these men. And it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And look what it says next. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It's the goal of the entire Christian life. Richard Pratt says, a Messiah you cannot imitate is not worth having as a Messiah. Luke 6.40 says, a disciple is not above the teacher this is Jesus speaking. But everyone who is fully qualified will become like their teacher. Do you believe that? I'm like deeply convicted that most of the church doesn't believe that they can actually imitate Jesus. We kind of just go, yeah. Sinned again, fell into my flesh is weak, spirit is willing. Oh, I guess I need to go pray for strength, right? And we have this kind of low energy, like the battery's running out all the time as followers of Jesus. Like you have, you're lit up and amped. You've got the spirit of Jesus in you. Go and live life to the fullest. Love, like that's not a small thing. Man, if we could just like the next generation could grab a hold of life in the spirit, what does it look like? It's just a really beautiful power that's in you. That Christ is doing in you, that you're united to him. So remember that, that the ultimate call of the Christian in the end, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And that is that you will look more and more like Jesus every day. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for just showing us that following you, Lord Jesus, as my friend said, have we just overcomplicated this for far too long? I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that it would begin in the very simple ways even in our own families, that we would see one another, that we would be good listeners, 
May we be bold with our words. All the phrases, all the things in the New Testament are just reflections of Jesus. Speak the truth in love is a reflection of Jesus. Be quick to listen. Be slow to anger is a reflection of Jesus. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast and so on is a reflection of Jesus. You should bear the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control is a reflection of Jesus. Oh, how different the world would view followers of the way if we really believe that your spirit is alive in us, making us little Christs. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.